I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. And imagine how much more powerful you can feel if in a moment of insecurity, you say, oh wait, it's not just me right now. I know my lineage, I know my ancestry, I know who I'm here representing. And to be able to tune in and tap into that lineage or those friends that you know you have, the community you've built, and then you take that next step forward, not with fear, but with power, that is the epitome of why I do what I do, is to help people feel that power as they take those steps forward. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. If there was ever a year that tested our personal resilience, it was 2020 and the spillover into this year. Because let's be real, many of the stressors of 2020's pandemic has spilled right into 2021. And now that we are officially in springtime, right? March 20th has come and gone in 2021. Some of us are trying to find normality in the wake of this crazy pandemic. So I just want to take a moment. I want to ask you, how are you doing? And are you feeling pretty over it with all of the added stresses that have been brought on with family, work, and the massive shifts in the way that we do life? Have you felt your resilience get stronger or do you feel like it has significantly struggled? For many of us, there are still many challenges that we're facing each and every day due to the fact that our lives are subtly or significantly different than they were back in February of 2020. From hospital visits to traveling to online events, conferences and education, I know I was just taking an online course before writing this up and I wore a mask this morning to grab some groceries and almost all of our doctor's appointments are done online these days. And I haven't been on a plane since January 2020. And before then, I was on a plane two plus times a month. One of the most stressful things that have come up for us was the amount of family members in the hospital without support. From grandparents to parents to uncles to even my husband who got a concussion from a terrible car accident that we were in a month ago with Kingston when he was just three months old. Luckily, Kingston is doing okay, but Alex and I are still undergoing a lot of appointments to manage neck pain, concussions, and all kinds of other things. Now, there have been many times where I felt my resilience stretched, but having an amazing community and some mindfulness practices under my belt has made a massive difference even in the fourth trimester of having this beautiful baby boy. Now, because resilience, our ability to bounce back when things don't go as planned is something that we could all use more these days, I invited a resilience expert onto the show. Como Menjas has joined me today to talk about how to build our resilience, especially during times of adversity. Now, before I join her in this much needed conversation, because goodness, we all need to kind of stock up on that resilience a little bit as we move further into 2021, I want to quickly sing her praises. At only the age of 30, she has been featured on Oprah's Super Soul 100-person list. She's interviewed Michelle Obama, Rupi Carr, Sophia Trudeau. She has survived a cancer diagnosis and a neurological illness at the age of 26. She is the founder and host of Amazing Lessons Learned podcast and so much more. Her goal is to help people understand their own strengths and capacity as they work to transform the systems that we live in and teach them tactics on how to thrive through times like these. Let's welcome Komal to the show.
Hey, one more thing. During a time when women are told that feeling exhausted all day long and weight gain is just a part of life after 40, I am here to debunk those myths so that we can stop believing them today. We've been told to expect hot flashes, weight gain, brain fog, low libido, and irritability. But what if perimenopause and menopause didn't have to be a struggle? In my newest book, The Essential Oils Menopause Solution, I lay out a proven 21-day hormone balancing program complete with meal plans, recipes, supplementation, herbal therapies, and self-care rituals designed to boost energy, metabolism, libido, mental clarity, and reverse a myriad of symptoms affecting millions of women today. You always deserve a body that works for you. And if you're feeling less than your best, you deserve solutions that promote actual healing. In as little as 21 days, the Essential Oils Menopause Solution book will help you skyrocket your energy, balance your hormones, and achieve long-lasting health. It's available for pre-order right now, so go grab your copy, plus my bonus menopause toolkit of $500 value at eomenopausesolution.com. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Komal, how are you doing today, girl? I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here. I'm taking in the sun from the West Coast because we're in a blizzard over here, but I am feeling good today. I love it. Well, it was so crazy. I was listening to Alicia Keys' book, and one of my favorite songs is Lesson Learned. Tell me about it. It's part of the motivation of why I called the show Lessons Learned is oh, that song. I had a feeling. I was like, oh my gosh. I saw that. I was reading that today. I was checking out the podcast and I was like, oh, I just love this title so much because it reminds me of Alicia Keys. I love that song. And I was yes. like, what are the odds that maybe it is connected? And so I just wanted to That drop whole that. album, I think it was um, songs in A minor maybe. Yes. yes, it is. Girl, thank you so much. Mama Brain is, is I got no brain. I love that song. So, and I was, I've just been listening to so, like her, all of her albums this last couple of weeks. Cause as I've been breastfeeding, the one thing that I'm able to do is listen to Audible. You know, you cannot read a book. I love reading real books, but it, it's really hard to read a book when you've got a baby attached to you everywhere. Anyway, I just wanted to just point that out and just say, you know, how has the podcast been going for you? Have you really loved the process? I have. When I decided to start the show, I was actually working on another startup. We were an intersectional journalism storytelling platform where we would tell the stories of Black, Indigenous women of color from across North America. And what I realized as I was building it was the real passion for me is connecting with people, interviewing people about their lessons learned, their stories of resilience, their stories of rising. And so when I landed on starting the podcast, it truly was like I had found my mission in life, my purpose in life, my calling in life in building out this show. And I'm so excited for the seasons ahead. We're doing a lot of rejigging in-house to up our production quality, to interview some of our audience, not just, you know, high, well-known guests. And it's just been life-changing for me having this show. I love that. Well, that leads me into more about, you know, I know you've done so much incredible work in the world and and at such a young age, I just love watching women like yourself making, rising up in your own way and really showcasing so many other women doing big things. That just fills my heart with so much joy. And it's, it's, what, this ep, it's what this podcast is all about as well, focusing on women, helping them to rise up, not only out of their health concerns, but into their bigger mission. So super excited. But when was that kind of defining moment for you when you knew you wanted to help 
probably more so women, but people in general, understand their strengths, their capacities, and their resilience. Because today what we're talking about is diving deeper into unlocking and understanding our resilience. And goodness knows, I know so many of us have had to go in deep, especially this last year, and really find that resilience in ourselves when when things have gotten really, really hard. Absolutely. And it feels really fitting because when the pandemic hit, I was immersed in resiliency research and education because it is a massive passion of mine. And when that occurred in my life was I was building a startup in New York City, living in Brooklyn. We had produced a documentary film called Dream Girl about ambitious women entrepreneurs from in and around the city. And we were scaling the business around around that documentary. We had premiered it at the Obama White House. I was on Oprah Super Soul 100 list with my co-founder. It was this very shiny moment in our lives. But simultaneously, I was diagnosed with a really rare form of skin cancer. And once I recovered from that, I had been diagnosed with a neurological illness that actually led me to leaving Brooklyn, moving back to Canada. Affordable healthcare is no joke. And When I hit that rock bottom, a couple of things happened for me. I realized there weren't a lot of spaces I could go to understand a blueprint for recovery, not just physical recovery, but emotional and mental recovery, psychological recovery. And there weren't any platforms or accessible places that really spoke to me as a South Asian woman, as a BIPOC woman, about how do I rebuild my life? I'm highly ambitious. My cognitive function was hindered at the time and I love my brain. I love my intellect. And so when I hit that rock bottom, I looked around at the resources available and there wasn't much. And so it slowly became my mission to help create resources for folks who are facing adversity, who are going through so much trauma, difficulty in their lives, but who are wildly ambitious to train them, to support them in better understanding the keys to their resilience, the the roots of their resilience. So as they scale in their careers and their well-being, they can prevent burnout. They can identify gaslighting in the workplace. They can feel supported by a community of people. So my rock bottom became where the seeds of this company and the work that I do now were planted. What an incredible transition and transformation, to kind of be on this all-time high, to be doing just incredible work, and then and then to have a couple of big health issues come up that, yeah, that can definitely bring you, it's kind of like you're, you're at a different level because now you're focused on just getting back to baseline, getting back to a place where you were before you get hit with a cancer diagnosis. And then clearly, I mean, a neurological diagnosis can shift everything because our brain allows us to have this conversation, allows us to do the work we do in the world. And absolutely what I've learned here, you know, serving a lot of women, I've served tens of thousands of women, women struggling with hormone issues, women struggling with with, with um, brain inflammation, you know, really mood issues, really just struggling with energy, getting out of bed in the morning. I, for me, when I was 30 years old, I had severe chronic fatigue where I couldn't really get out of bed or function. And um, I remember that being a really poignant moment for me me and my life. And also same with you, finding very few resources on how to actually get myself back to where I was. And so I can feel that. And in your research in terms of resilience, have you found, we're talking about resilience because goodness knows we need it in every facet of life, but have you found yourself serving people when it comes to kind of digging into that resilience when they are on a health journey, when they're, when they're really battling something with our health? 
So a number of folks who have gone through my programs or that I, I meet with online are facing chronic illness. And specifically, my friend Nithika Chopra and her community, Chronicon, the Chronicon community, has been such a support for a lot of the, the folks that I've worked with in helping them realize their identity outside of their illness, but also that you can't just put your illness in a box and put it to the side, that there is this reconciliation that needs to happen, this reckoning that needs to occur between the reality of your life with your illness and then deciding and figuring out what are the right next steps for me? How do I reconcile with this new identity? And you had mentioned, you know, how do I become who I was before? What I've realized through this work is we can never become those people again. But what we can do is reconcile and face the trauma we've endured through our illnesses, through being unwell, and then imagine a new identity for ourselves, one that perhaps is a little bit more gentle, one that is a little bit more inclusive of our physical needs, our physiological needs, and one that is constitutes and is full of a community of support around us. And to me, a resilient life is to look around at your life and say, what is the safety net behind me? What, what have I built as the foundation? What can catch me when and if I fall? Because the fall is sometimes inevitable. And if none of that exists, that fall can be so stark, you know, uh, falling down ain't falling down if you don't cry when you hit the floor. Another Alicia Keys lyric, but it's like, so how can we soften those falls and then actually turn that into a bounce? Like that's when we truly find that resiliency is, is we've giving, giving ourselves that comfort, that spring beneath us when it comes to having a community of support around us, building our self-efficacy, our belief in ourselves and our well-being, connecting to our identity and the impact we want to make in the world renegotiating and redefining our relationship to work and then building really robust wellness plans for ourselves. Like those are my roots of resilience. Um, and when I work with folks who are facing illness, it is, what is your comprehensive plan here? And how do you really tune into these very important parts of your robust identity? Hmm. You know, it's so funny when I was thinking about resilience in this conversation today, I was thinking a lot about kind of tapping into our internal resilience. I hadn't really, and I recognize, I, you know, I recognize how important, how critical it is to have community, especially when we're, when we're on a healing journey and especially when we're overcoming adversities of any kind. But I hadn't ever thought about relying on community for resilience. And can you speak a little bit into that? Because I know that there are factors. I know we're going to go into some factors that are important in order to live a more resilient life. Are one of those factors making sure that you have and surrounded by community? Absolutely. So across all well-being research, like when I was looking at different aspects of well-being and flourishing, community support and the community of support around you is one of the most critical factors to enhancing our resiliency and enhancing our overall well-being. And when it was looked at post 9-11, there was some research done of communities who weren't directly impacted by the events of 9-11, but who were also in the city in New York. And there was a couple of factors that really led to lower reports of PTSD in certain communities. And two of those things were task-based planning so literally making lists of things to do every day and crossing those lists off. And the second was a community of support. So talking to other folks in the city, talking to the people in your life about what happened, leaning on them when you need them, asking for support, being true and honest with where you're at and the trauma that you've endured and how difficult it's been for you. And community of support, it's just truly one of the biggest indicators of enhancing resiliency, of 
moving through difficult times and of our overall well-being, which is why during this pandemic, our knee-jerk reaction might be to isolate, especially when we're living alone, but to remain connected, even though we're all Zoom fatigued, <laughs> it's maintaining happy and positive and fun ways of connecting with your people online through game nights, through different activities like that. But community of support is 100% a major part of the foundation to living a resilient life. I mean, that makes so much sense. Absolutely. What are some other factors that we should consider? I know this is such a timely conversation because there's a lot of people who are kind of at their wits end, you know, kind of at a place where maybe they're not able, they've been maybe potentially tapping into that resilience, but they're they're definitely feeling the fatigue of it all. Mm-hmm. I would say, and I will speak directly to what I just went through because I hit a, a burnout at the end of 2020, running my business, running operations, being the educator, doing product development. You hit a, a ceiling. I'm sure you yourself know that you're, you're a new mom, you're, you're coming back and beginning interviews again in the midst of a launch. There's Our capacity is only so much. And when certain things are sacrificed, especially when it comes to well-being, wellness, our, our, our daily, daily routines that capacity shrinks and we don't even realize it's happening. It happens so subtly. And so to rebuild that capacity, sometimes it's, it's about taking that step back. It's about planning, you know, one weekend a month is a long weekend. And that extra day that you get, no one gets your time. No one in your family gets your time. It's treated like a work day, but it's actually your well-being day. And so for me, when I hit my burnout in December, my pandemic wall, my work burnout, my personal burnout, whatever we want to call it, I had to pull away from my business for a good three weeks. I had to take one week to let myself fall apart. <laughs> I had to take one week to reorganize my life, do laundry, get things physically in my physical space organized because actually part of building up our resiliency is an assessment of your physical environment. Because if the space that you're in is chaotic and overwhelming, it actually decreases capacity as well. So what are, and if you're in a negative environment when it comes to the people you live with, different things like that. So physical environment is a big factor. And then my third week was, okay, how do I rejig my life habits, my daily routines back to a place that feels good? Because I was 100% that person who early in the pandemic, I was meditating every day, working out every day, journaling every day, reading every day, hitting those morning routine things. Come December, it had all fallen apart. So how do you pick yourself back up? That is the resilient question. How quickly can I get back to my baseline? For me, it took four weeks. So it was that three weeks of of practice and then the last week of implementation of, of starting to rebuild my routines and not all at once, starting with one habit every 10 days and then stacking on those habits to get back to my baseline, which is where I am now. But when it comes to how we're all navigating this, wellness is a fundamental aspect of this. We've talked about community, but what are you doing to take care of yourself on a daily basis? My meditations used to be 40 minutes. Now they're five minutes. My journaling time is two minutes and I read one page of a book, but I still hit my marks. It's a 15 minute practice, whereas it used to be an hour and a half. And I'm okay with that, but it still sets me and grounds me and is the time that I needed with myself every single day. And that helps my capacity grow a little bit by little bit every single day. So what is your foundation for wellness? What are the daily routines you're showing up for? And also, what is the state of your physical space? Because especially as this pandemic, many of us are still in lockdowns or coming out of them. You're you're in the same four walls and it can become oppressive if things aren't organized well or if it isn't feeling right to you. So how can you pay attention to that? So as you can tell, this is something I can riff on all day, but for this question, we'll talk about those two. 
Totally. Let's talk about personal space. There's so much I want to I want to un- uncover because I do believe that that self care, that wellness piece, is non negotiable. You know, even if it is 15 minutes, I have a, a morning routine that yes, very very sex. I have, I call it the I have two versions. I have the Bentley. Yes. Which girl? I don't. The Bentley don't exist no more. <laughs> I, gotta, I was gonna ask as a new mom, what is that looking no. like? The Bentley got put in the garage, <laughs> you know, got put away. And then, you know, I had like my like survival, you know, non-negotiable version, um, which is what I'm down to at this point, which I'm just, I'm still excited and, and grateful that I still have some, some of it because it's such a big piece of who I am. But what I wanted to speak into before we get into that real quick is let's just talk about personal space because even, you know, it's so funny, even we, you know, it's amazing how a little teeny, you know, 23 inch baby could take up your, take over your entire house, take over everything. You know, um, every room is his room. But one of the things I, I've always been about is I'm not, I don't like clutter. I like, I like things put away. I like organization because I'm the, in the business, I'm the creative and I, I just cannot get creative without clear spaces. My husband, not so much, you know what I'm saying? He can, he can operate with socks everywhere, you know, and, and stuff all over the place. And he's got little clutter piles, you know, it's just how he does. So I'm always like, I'm like, you ever watched Alice in Wonderland where like the little, little broom is like behind her? That's me. I'm the broom who is just erasing the path, you know, that's me as I go. And so that one of the biggest challenges for me when the baby came was like, okay, how are we going to keep order in the house? Because that for me, it, it, I have to have it. And, um, and we have been able to maintain that. You, you know, I was always odd. I was always in awe of families. I would go to families' homes, to friends' homes, and who I knew had fam- kids. And the house would look almost as if they didn't have children. I'm like, wow, how are they doing that? And, um, and so that's been kind of my big thing. But I know how important that is because when you walk around and there's just chaos everywhere, there's stuff everywhere, it's just such a distraction. You know, it's so, so hard to get focused. It's so hard to feel like you can check off the things on your list to, to get to get the things done that you need to get done, to just feel like you've got space for some level of creativity. So if indeed there are there are some ladies listening here who are like, oh my gosh, that sounds like my house, like the, the hot mess situation, where is a good place to start? How do we begin to tackle that where life is super crazy, got kids everywhere, got, you know, work stuff all over the place, da, 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 da. Where was one of the first places you started to kind of cultivate a little bit of a, I don't know if it's, if it's, if it's an organized space, but just a, more of a, a cleared space? When I first moved back to Canada, we live on an acreage just outside of Ottawa. We've got like beautiful access to land and nature, and it's it's so lovely. And our home, we moved in with my father-in-law because he lived out here alone. When I was moving back, my mom and I were talking and I was like, I was looking at renting apartments downtown. She's like, why don't you just move in with, with, I call him Papa Joe. Why don't you just move in with Papa Joe for a little while? I have a Papa Joe too. Really? I love it. Yes. (laughs) So in Punjabi culture, we, we name all of our elders with signs of respect. And so I never felt comfortable calling my father-in-law by his first name. So I was like, Papa Joe, that's what this is. And so when we moved in though, the house was like a relic from the early seventies, like the wallpaper, the everything. But when you're coming out of illness or when you're coming out of difficult times, small projects can help you focus your energy. So I would say to folks, start with one corner, start with one room 
And like, once you're, once that corner is organized, open your scope and say, okay, what outside of this corner can I do? And then suddenly you've organized a room and don't try and do it all at once. Like give yourself a weekend at a time for each of the spaces that you're trying to organize. And when you do that, it becomes almost this cycle you go through in your home where I know I've done a first pass in a room and I'm like, I know I'm going to come back to you eventually, but we did good this time. I've organized and gone through clothing and it's like, I know there's more I want to get rid of, but I'll come back to you. If we see it as an ongoing project, it also helps us build the habit of maintaining the organization and the clear or the clarity that you speak to when it comes to having the spaces around us work for us. And so many people, they don't even see the mess. My husband is also one of those people. <laughs> but slowly over time, like he started folding the towels the right way. I've, you know, like there's certain things that you can also help your, encourage your family to build up as their own habits. Because especially for our kids long term, if habits around organization and planning are ingrained in our kids, it helps them when they're in their adulthood, when they move out on their own, to really take ownership of the spaces that they're in as well. And I see it as this way as well. When the external is organized, you can start really focusing on organizing the internal when it comes to your mental health, your well-being. But sometimes it's a distraction and sometimes it's a crux that people need. Sometimes we keep things disorganized because it's too hard to go in and do the inner work at that point. And it's okay if that's the case. But just be open to when you're ready to declutter the space that you're in and make it a space that is calm enough for you to do what might be difficult of going inward and cultivating that inner mind. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I would say my two recurring, and I was thinking like kind of like a starter project, maybe just your, maybe it's your desk, you know, such a great little starter project. I feel like your desk can always use a revamping or like that like overflow drawer in the kitchen. Yes. <laughs> Actually, some people the, might be overwhelmed by that to start, but yeah, they're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't even want to go anywhere near that. Or even, you know, we have a big island or a kind of a, a big counter space in our kitchen, things like to accumulate there as well. But my two favorites that I'm always going back through is books. I I do not, I guess I'm not consuming as many hard copy books as I used to three months ago and also clothes. But I'm not going to lie. I love to purge. I'm a big purger. So I'm like, okay, what clothes need to go? What things need to go? Those are kind of like my, always my reoccurring project. And I love that idea of like, you know what? This is really good as it is right now. Like, yeah, there's some more stuff that I could do here, but this is a great start. Like mm. there's so much grace in that. Done is better than perfect. Yeah, exactly. And you can always, what I've learned, you know, for me, and this is kind of how my I operate in terms of decluttering, is that you're always just chipping away at it. And I've learned, you know, as a woman, it's amazing what we can do in two minutes. Yes. You think about the power, like two, three minutes, you could run through a room especially, real quick. Especially when everything has a place. Like if you do that initial deep clean where it's like, I know where everything goes, then if say like a pile of clothes is on the ground, it's annoying, but you know, it all has somewhere to go. And I think the overwhelm comes when you don't know where anything is meant to go and it just turns into piles and suddenly those piles are where they belong. And that can get so overwhelming. The other thing I'll say here, physical environment isn't just the space, it's the people. And so in this pandemic, some people are in circumstances where the people they're around are negative, are unhealthy, are perhaps abusive, are all of these things. The way that you can focus on organizing the physical spaces you have control over can also support you in navigating those difficult environments you might be existing in. And I bring that up because I know that that is something that a lot of folks might be 
navigating right now, but give your brain little projects that can be small wins when it comes to the physical nature of the space that you're in. Mm, I love that. And speaking of the brain and speaking of kind of safety signals, I want to get back to some of the rituals that you talked about, creating what what that wellness, those rituals, those habits that can really help to ground us. You know, what was a hour and a half routine now is a 15 minute routine, but you're still checking the boxes of the things that are meaningful to you that really help to nourish you. And I think that is so, so important when it comes to building resilience and really setting the tone for what we want, you know, so that life is happening for us and not to us. And I think in particular, one of the areas that you had mentioned is journaling. And I find that journaling is such a powerful ritual that can really allow us to not only gain creativity, but just kind of let, kind of reduce stress, reduce burnout, really help us to kind of ground back into what matters. Absolutely. And a tool that my therapist actually offered me a few weeks ago is something called chromatic journaling. So I'm about to pull out my colored pencils because... My colored pens, because what she actually suggested is if you're in a period of time where, again, if you're feeling generally overwhelmed and you don't even know what to write on a page, pick a color that represents the emotion you're feeling. So red for me is anxiety. Blue for me is a little bit of a calmer day. Purple for me is a breakthrough or like when I'm feeling myself, like that's a, that's a good day. But then that way, when you look back on past days, you can see a pattern for yourself of how your emotions play. And this is also good when you're cycle syncing um, to know what days of your cycle you might actually be more emotional or triggered or different things like that. And when I choose colors to represent how I feel when I'm journaling, it almost makes it easier because when I'm writing in red, I can just rage. I can be like, yeah, this was the worst. And X thing happened and I got it out of my system and then I'm ready in the same journal entry to move to a brighter color or a different color that helps me know, okay, we've processed some of that emotion. And so it makes it even more creative and it's been super helpful for me when it comes to navigating the emotions as they arrive during this pandemic. But chromatic journaling is something that's been really effective for me recently. I love that. And I love I love looking at it in according to your cycle as well. You know, for us as women, we take on so much. Let's we take on a lot. We 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 bring it in, we we internalize it sometimes, and it all looks fluffy. You know, everyone wants us to be in our follicular state of our cycle. Like who doesn't want us all in that energy cycle, in that outgoing cycle? But you know what? We get to get into the luteal phase. We get to be towards the end of that. And you know what? Maybe, you know, the the little like that little gauge of, you know, tolerance for things, you know, gets to drop a little bit and we don't have to be so happy with everything. You know, we don't have to. I just love the idea of embracing that part of our cycle. We get to pull out the red pen and we get to just really just, you know, riff into that journal, you know, or however you like to get all that out of your system. And because I just love honoring every part of our cycle. And so many of us haven't had that opportunity to know what do I feel and when do I feel it? (laughs) You know, as someone who lives with endometriosis as well, my cycles for a long time were 21 days. So if, you know, I was having like three extra periods a year and with chronic pain and it was just like, how do I, 
manage not just the physical symptomology of this, but the emotional implications of having three more cycles a year, which means X amount of days are going to be days when I need to do inner work or be quiet or separate from people. No one teaches us that. And especially as entrepreneurs, when I do my program planning now, my ops lead and I, we look at my cycle and we say, when can I, when should I be teaching? Okay. Those are the period days. We're blocking out five days. My whole team also gets to, you know, just let me know today, like cycle started. This is day one to three. Like I'm not really going to be available because a lot of us have that kind of like debilitating pain and it's been a game changer for us. The other thing I'll offer is with the moon cycle as well, the new moon into like full moon time for me is when I add things into my life or my business. And then full moon to new moon is when I look at what can I cut out? What can I take away? And those two things around feeling my cycle a little bit more, getting more awareness and also like paying attention to moon cycles, not only connects me more to nature, which is also resilience enhancing, but it gives me organizational tools on a monthly basis to be checking into what needs to grow and what needs to pull back. And it's shocking to some folks when you think of these natural rhythms and how much we can learn from them and how that can enhance how strong we are in how we show up every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, especially, yeah, especially for us as women, being able, I always think of our cycle as our our slight advantage or, unfa- you know, it's an unfair advantage, really, once, once we own it. And I'm so glad we're having more and more conversations around that because it really is, we, we really can own so much around our cycles. And we can use it to an advantage far beyond what we we know what we're capable of. And so I just appreciate you sharing those because that's, I just love that so much. It feels wonderful to have spaces where we can openly talk about this too now. You know, it's not like we could always comfortably do this, but I'm so happy that you've uh, created a space for us to do that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. We talk about, we talk about the cycle all the time here on this show. My incredible audience, you know, we're women who are still cycling, women who are in that transition of perimenopause, whereas cycling kind of similar, we're like, you know, we are having shorter cycles and the symptoms are definitely creeping up and then even into menopause and what that looks like post cycling and how we can kind of reclaim some of that as well. Some of that energy, because it's a lot of energy to run that cycle just in general, but then how we can leverage different different parts of it and really embrace different parts of it. You know, so often parts of our cycle kind of get, we, there's so much shame around them or taboo around them. And that ownership is so critical. Mm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. I would love what, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of getting close to the, the wrap up, but I wanted to know what was one of your top tips for practicing resilience? I know we, we do- dove in a tiny little bit into the wellness, definitely into clearing our space, not only for our creativity and for just, just kind of having that grounding, but also if we've got energetic vampires inside of our space, you know, how that we can help man- mitigate that as well. And clearly wellness is such a big part of this podcast and little ways in which that we can give ourselves those safety signals. But is there a top tip for you that has really helped in practicing resilience? Because I'm guessing this is really something we should be doing or we get to embrace on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. And I would say for many of us, and especially as a South Asian woman, as a woman of color, rooting into my identity and my heritage and my lineage has been so resilience building and so grounding. And there are, there, there's some research coming out now more and more now that, you know, the space of positive psychology is not as white as it once was, where we're seeing that specifically in the African-American community, 
when you teach young people about the their culture, who they are, their identity, they grow up with greater levels of resiliency. When you enable them to be immersed in culture, and not only there, but also in identifying and naming racism at a young age for or children of color, instead of avoiding it and not talking about it, if you enhance a child's resiliency by letting them know this is something you're going to face in your life and this is how we can respond to it as a family and you as an individual if and when it comes up that increases that child's ability to live a resilient life so for me looking at who like what kind of life did my grandmother live what kind of life did my great-grandmother live tuning into my lineage my heritage my identity has enabled me to also better understand the impact i want to leave which gives you that higher purpose in life, which in turn also builds your overall resiliency. So it's something we don't often talk about as a tactical how-to when it comes to building resilience, but taking time to really acquaint yourself with what does this lived body I live in represent? And for some folks, they might've come through foster care or they might not be connected to their parents or, or the previous generations, but then you get to decide what kind of ancestor do I wanna be? What kind of aunt do I want to be? What kind of friend do I want to be? And really defining your identity from where you came from or who you want to become is hugely helpful as we build our resilience. Oh, I love that. I, I totally relate to that, you know, coming from a family of Mexican descent and, you know, even just being a woman too, you know, standing on the shoulders of my mom and my grandmother, my great grandmother and, and, you know, how much I have been able to do because, because of the work that they had done. And so I really do. I so appreciate that. I think that again, and I think that even speaks into understanding the community of our family and our, and our lineage as well, which we, which we spoke into at the very beginning of this is having community within our family and then having community out in the world, especially with dealing with whatever we've got going on, you know, burnout being one of those big ones. You know, a lot of us are feeling that and just tapping into the community that we have you know, right now as we speak, we're in, I told you we're in a launch, I'm doing a summit on perimenopause and menopause and we have tens of thousands of women participating and listening in, but we also have a Facebook group that has thousands and thousands of women in it. And I always create a Facebook group of, of a community because I want women to be able to freely ask questions about what they've got going on, you know, because there's so many incredible women in there who can really offer up support, not only in that, oh my gosh, I'm going through this too, but these are the things that I've done that have really moved the needle for me. And so I agree with you so much that when we're going through these times, these phases or these health issues, and we feel so isolated and so alone, being able to tap into community and just letting them know this is where I'm at right now and nothing's working for me or very few things have, what are things that have, you know, what, can anyone relate? Yes. Is anyone there? All we want is to be, to feel seen and heard in our yeah. experiences. Yeah. And then maybe someone's got a little something for me, which was with cherry on top, right? <laughs> like the hacks, the like tips and tricks. And when we look back at how our ancestors lived, it is in community. It was in, in predominantly villages for those of us who are POCs. There was such a communal vibe and a hundred percent like patriarchy exists in, in, in certain contexts, like female reproductive experiences have not been valued for centuries, but were prior to. And so it's, the separation and isolation that has been created systematically, specifically in North America, is a way to keep us disconnected from one another. So the more connected we become, the more willing we are to not just connect to ourselves, but each other. 
the more powerful, resilient whole we become as a collective. And that, like when we talk about individual resilience, collective resilience is really important to me, which from a policy perspective, like is why I'm so proud to be Canadian because of the social safety supports that we have for folks, because that enhances community resilience. But to come back to what we were saying earlier, it always reminds me of a quote from Maya Angelou, which is, I come as one, but I stand as 10,000. And imagine how much more powerful you can feel if in a moment of insecurity, you say, oh, wait, it's not just me right now. I know my lineage. I know my ancestry. I know who I'm here representing. And to be able to tune in and tap into that lineage or those friends that you know you have, the community you've built, and then you take that next step forward, not with fear, but with power, that is the epitome of why I do what I do, is to help people feel that power as they take those steps forward. Love that so much. And I got some shivers on the Maya Angelou quote as well. Ooh. All right, my dear, where where can we plug in to you? Where can we get more of you? Love for people to go check out the podcast, the Lessons Learned podcast, which I will have a link to in the show notes. But where else can we go? Where would you like us to come find you? Instagram's the best place for us to connect. So my handle's Komal Minhas, K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S. And I can't wait. I love chatting with everyone in my DMs. I can talk about resiliency all day. Um, And we have programs and events that you can tap into as well. And it's been so fun to have this conversation with you. So thank you so much Mm -hmm. for having me today. Hmm. Thank you so much for coming on, my dear. And definitely stay warm in that beautiful winter wonderland blizzard. Thank you. I'll do my best. One of the biggest takeaways I got from Como today was the importance of community in building resilience, especially during a time when many of us have felt so isolated from those we love. Luckily, I believe that there are many ways that we can create community online through social media, Zoom, FaceTime, you get in where you fit in. There's a lot of ways that we can still keep people that we love in contact with us on the constant. One of the ways to create resilience that we have found with our family are weekly FaceTimes with Kingston's grandparents, our parents. We have weekly story time with him so that he can connect with his grandparents who are far enough away that they don't get to see him often enough, especially with this pandemic. Now, if you want to continue to unlock and strengthen your resilience, I highly recommend checking out Como's podcast, Lessons Learned. Now I'm going to have the link to the show notes to check it out. I have checked out the podcast myself. I love the topics and really, truly, it is about how we can cultivate more strength within ourselves and helping to do that with the community around us. Now I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and listening into the Essentially You podcast. Coming up next, I'm bringing on a dear friend and fellow estrogen dominance expert to the show, Magdalena. We're going to be talking about overcoming estrogen dominance and her newest book. Now, this book is profound. I'm super excited to share it with you and to share some of her biggest takeaways when it comes to dealing with an issue that most women experience in their late 30s and 40s. Until then, have an amazing week. I can't wait to see you on the next show. 